Get your Bibles open. I want to encourage you, especially in this series that we're doing called Special Delivery. I want to encourage you to continue to be special delivery agents with the resources God has entrusted you with. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and, uh, and I want to start reading in verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world, which I shared a few weeks ago is all of us Americans, people who are rich in this world, not to be proud, first of all, not to trust in their money, secondly, which is so unreliable. We're witnessing that with inflation and everything else going on. But here's what it says. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Now, can I just pop a bubble here this morning? Aren't you glad God blesses you? You ready for this? For your enjoyment. Some people are have been trained that ministry is only valuable and service is only valuable if you're miserable in doing it. What a sick thing. But I'm telling you, some people have been raised in such church cultures when we talk about having joy in God or experiencing pleasure in God, it's almost like we're speaking like a cult leader or something like that. Can I just pop everybody's bubble? God blesses you so you can enjoy what he's blessed you with. But he never wants you to make an idol out of what he's blessed you with. He wants you to be a special delivery agent to take the goodness of God. In fact, I'll say this. Have you ever thought that maybe God's trying to increase our standard of living so that he could increase our standard of giving? Let's say that one again. God's blessing on our lives is not so we build bigger silos. It's so that we have a greater outreach. We, re we release more. In fact, look at what it says next. I want to encourage you in this in this passage. Tell them to use their money to do good as God's special delivery agents. That's what we're talking about. They, talking about us, we should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, and always ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience, I love this, true life. Can I just tell you something? You know, in the, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, it says that among the gathering of God's people, there was not a single needy person. How did that happen? It happened because of the supernatural culture that was created when people simply obeyed God and blessed and served, and then God multiplied what was in their midst. How many of you think God's still doing that today? And he wants to connect us through this amazing thing called the body of Christ, where we learn to, to steward and be special delivery people, delivering the goodness of God and the care of God, the blessing of God, the salvation of God to other people. That's when church gets to be really, really fun. So I want to encourage you, find your sweet spot, figure out what God's called you to do, enjoy the blessings of God, um, but let's remember that our prosperity is for a purpose, all right? Father, we ask you to bless the, the offering now as we sow it. God, multiply it. Bless the givers, Lord. May we be hilarious, joyful, generous, and full of good deeds, God, in our hearts to love people well. We pray this in your mighty name and everybody said, amen. Let me quickly add too that the proceeds from all of your enjoyment of the Cafe Ethne, all the proceeds are going this month to support our uh, youth missions effort that's going to be taking place in, in the city of Buffalo with a great ministry, inner city ministry there. And we're having a, a huge group of, of young people that are going to be a part of that. So we're going to underwrite their expenses. So eat those bagels and drink that coffee for the glory of God. All right. And we'll be uh, serving a good purpose. All right. I want to uh, have you get your Bibles open to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll get there in just a moment. But how many of you have figured out, at the end of the day, Christianity is not about rules, and it's not about uh, proper doctrine only, that it's about relationship. 
I got to just bring this home again. It's about relationship. Relationship with who? Well, how about relationship with our amazing Heavenly Father? How about relationship with Jesus Christ, His Son? How about a relationship with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us? And how about this? How about killer relationships with other people, especially those in the body of Christ or our brothers and sisters? Christianity is about relationship. We screw it up when we turn it into a religious observance or, or we turn it into a checklist or we turn it into a duty. Because how many of you know just having your quiet time, if it's a checklist, gets to be really, really uh, dry and boring and routine. But how many of you have realized understanding that Christianity is an invitation to know God, to walk with God, to have a relationship with God? Ready for this one? That God actually likes us. I got to say that one again. Some of you, God likes you. He loves you. He loves being with you. You're his son. You're his daughter. He longs for our presence. He loves it when we come away. He loves it when we worship and we just get lost in his presence. And not because it's some ritual or it's, a, or it's just what we do on Sunday, but because we're after a person. Eternal life is not so much about a place as it is about a person. Now, the place is going to be amazing, but the place would be terrible if the person, Jesus Christ, was not there with us. And so I'm just driving, you know, when we're singing and Chris was challenging us, come on, church, come on, church, about there's nothing more satisfying, there's nothing better than Jesus. That's the heartbeat of the gospel, a place, eternity, eternal life, but with a person, Jesus, who loves us and gave his life for us. Eternal life, though, is also about purpose, and I, I really want to drive this home. I was chatting with a lady today, and, and uh, we were laughing because, again, many of us have been raised in church cultures where, we, where people are encouraged to serve, but they serve in an area that they absolutely hate. Like, I just, you know, I can't stand whatever. Well, great, you're going to serve there anyway because God wants to build character in your life because, you know, the more miserable you are, the more like Jesus you're going to become. No, 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 no. We got it all wrong. The more miserable you are, the less like Jesus you are. You're in your sweet spot when you're fulfilling the purpose God wired you, God created you to be and to do. How many times have you ever been, you know, you heard the missionaries talking in church and you're like, oh God, I don't want to go to the missionary talk because I know you're going to send me somewhere far away to do something that I don't have any idea how to do and I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life, but all for your glory. I mean, how many of you have heard those kind of talks? It's like, no, God, and the miserable missionaries are the worst kind. Hey, come follow Jesus. I'm a miserable missionary. I'll tell you all about him. No, who wants to follow that person? But this is the truth. You cannot become the fullness of who you are until you discover your purpose. How are you supposed to partner with God to be a part of, of the most game-changing experience on planet Earth, being a part of reconciliation, being a part of bringing healing to other people? I mean, you know, you can have a, a big bank account. You can have a prestigious job, wear a big title, be a person of influence, all the things the world says. But at the end of the day, be empty on the inside because you don't know Jesus and you don't, and you don't know why you're here. Until you figure out why you're here, you're going to be a frustrated person. You're going to be looking to all kinds of cheap substitutes to provide the answers that you're looking for, but you're never going to find them apart from Jesus. Look at with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 19 and 20. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Can anybody say praise the Lord for that? 
I'm standing here, and if you're in Christ, you're standing here today. Every wicked thought, word, or deed that we ever committed has been washed in the blood of Jesus, and we're free today. That's, that's the reason for joy in the house of the Lord today. Amen? That right there, we can say hallelujah and go home. But there's more. Check this out. God doesn't just, the focus isn't just me. I'm not the cul-de-sac of God's goodness. He gave us a wonderful message, and here's the message. It's reconciliation. Can I just boil the cabbage down for all of us? We're all different. Not a one of us is alike in this room. Everybody has a unique gifting and calling. But there's one thing we all share in common, and this is very, very helpful. You and I are on planet Earth to be a part of a ministry that centers in reconciliation, bringing people far apart together, bringing people far from God to God, bringing people who are in broken relationships together. It's about reconciliation, which means today part of your purpose is involved in people. And I just got to encourage some of you introverts out there. Introvert's kind of a bad word. I wish we didn't have introvert, extrovert. It's an excuse. People who say, well, I'm just an introvert. That means you're telling me that you don't like being around people. It makes you nervous, which means you cannot do 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Aren't you glad Jesus wasn't an introvert? I'm messing with some of you. Here's what I'm trying to say. We've got to get more comfortable loving people. Because our whole ministry centers around reconciliation. How many of you know, too, it doesn't do us much good to come to church and be passionate in raising our hands to worship Jesus if our relational network, people around us, people who know us, our own family is an absolute disaster. Jesus said, in fact, hey, leave your gift at the altar and go deal with the relational disaster in your life and forgive your brother and ask for reconciliation and make things right. In other words, why do we focus on marriages and families so much here at Living Stones? Because relationships really matter to God. God loves you. God wants this relationship restored. That's the, that's, the, that's the delivery package we deliver. That's one of the big ones is relationship with God restored. But how many of you know it spills over into all of our relationships? And can I just tell you this? This is for somebody today. You might be dealing with some relationships that are so broken and so messed up in your family. You're going, man, is that person ever going to come around? Don't ever, ever, ever give up on the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God on anybody's life because God is still changing people. As long as you have breath in your lungs, God is after people's hearts. He loves them so much. He will never quit on anybody. And you know what? The older I get, the more I realize I quit too soon on this person. I quit too soon on this situation. Don't quit too soon. God is always seeking to reconcile. And look at what it says next. We are Christ's ambassadors. In the, in the context of this sermon, we are his special delivery agents. That's what we're talking about. God's looking for people who will be an ambassador for him, who will make an appeal to, from God's heart to other people. And we speak for Christ. We get to plead with people, come back to God. Come back to God. What you believe about God isn't true or accurate. He's crazy about you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. That's the essence of what we do on planet Earth. And listen to me. The gospel is not boring. I'm boring. And you're boring. The gospel is never boring. And I'm going to make that case today. You will experience life to the fullest, to the greater degree that you surrender your entire life. In fact, I just got to put, I'm going to hold you accountable for the homework. How many of you have been 
upon awakening, you consciously look to the Lord, and maybe you raise your hands towards heaven. That's what I do. But I just say, God Almighty, I am yours. I exist for you. All that I am is yours. My house is yours. My stuff is yours. My time is yours. God, use me today to deliver your goodness, your gifts, your blessing, your healing to somebody that's going to come across my path today. How many of you are doing that? If you're not doing that, I encourage you, start doing that. Start living on the edge. Start believing that God wants to work through you. Start partnering with him. Start believing that maybe today there's something, someone, some situation that God wants me to be a part of. I really believe the fun begins when you partner with the Lord to share his presence and his power and his provision with people for whom he died. So so here's the question we're going to ask today. How? You know, don't you wish God had this gift and he had an address on it and he told you exact street address, exact city, zip code, and you go, ah, I'm going to have a divine encounter today with Brian Powers. I know where he lives and I'm supposed to go and meet with Brian Powers today and God's going to do something special. I wish it was that simple. It's not that simple, but it's more exciting than that. So we're going to talk about where am I taking the package? Who has the need? How do I discern God's heart? How do I listen to the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to give you five ways today that God Almighty wants to direct us to the situation or circumstance where he wants to use you to bring an impact. Now, can I just share this with you? God wants to use you. I'm going to say it again for emphasis. God wants to use you. The creator of the universe wants to partner with you. This is incredible. And this is when it gets to be exciting. So how does he do it? First way he does it is a nudge. A nudge. How many of you have ever been nudged by your spouse in church? True confession. Pastor's up there preaching, and all of a sudden, now let me encourage you, don't ever play the role of the Holy Spirit in your spouse's life. Generally, the message should be like, Lord, what are you saying to me, not what are you saying to he, all right? All right. I know guys that need prayer for bruising on their ribs, you know, because they're mm, mm, mm. So don't be the Holy Spirit, but how many of you have ever felt a nudge? You, you've been out in public and you feel nudged to go talk to that person, to go help that person, to go care for that person. Everybody know what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever blown past the nudge only to find out, oh, why did I play it safe? Why did I miss God? God was wanting to do something and, and I blew right past the nudge. So let's define a nudge. A nudge is this inner push that directs us towards a person, a place, or an action. It's a signal from God that no matter how faint it is, it suddenly turns our attention into someone or something that we weren't even thinking about. How many of you have ever been minding your own business? And this, this is what's important. I'm not saying try to consciously think about, Lord, what am I to do? No, I'm saying you're going through your day, but you're open, and all of a sudden a random thought will pop into your brain. How many of you have ever had that happen? It might be something like this. Call, uh, call Lynn. Oh, okay, call Lynn. Now, when a random thought pops into your mind to call Lynn, how many of you know you can't claim that thought? Or call Uncle Larry or whatever the situation is. God's wanting you to bring something, a word of encouragement, a word of hope, even if it's just this. Hey, I was just calling to let you know you popped into my mind. I've said that to people. You popped into my mind. I'm just calling you to let you know God loves you and I love you. Sometimes they'll just go, hey, cool, thanks. We'll chat for a little bit. How I many you know that's a good phone call? Nothing super crazy happened. 
Other times, though, you'll do that, and the person will say this. I've had this. I can't tell you. I can't believe you're calling me right now. I can't believe you're calling me right now. Bing, 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 bing. Now I'm on to something supernatural. God's doing something. The nature of the phone call came at such a time that it was beyond question that God is getting that person's attention. Now, how hard is it to call somebody on the phone? We were in the car, car the other day, or on the back porch the other day, with, with uh, uh, my mom, who's, by the way, make sure you get a hug from my mom today, or she's giving out hugs. She's back here front row, way to go, mom. Hips recovering and all that good stuff. But I had both the mamas with me, and we were uh, talking about somebody in the church who's been going through a health crisis, and the Holy Spirit said, don't just talk about her, call her. So we called her. We had the most incredible time. We, we encouraged one another. We say, we love you. I mean, you know, that was a kingdom transaction that took place there. How many believe you can do that? I'm talking most basic level. Sometimes it's a person. Now, I got to tell you a funny story because it doesn't always end in fireworks, all right? I parked my car right across the street on the curb there. That, by the way, is my, uh, my uh, daughter, daughter's house, my son-in-law's house. Aaron and Lauren live right across the street. And I noticed that there was leftover breakfast from one of my kids in a container in the back of the car that was in there all day yesterday. And uh, I'm thinking, this is not going to end well. So I took it out of the back seat and I threw it in their garbage can right in front of their house. A true confession. Uh, I was grateful for that. Thank you, Lord. And then um, this guy's walking down toward me when I turn around and I felt the Holy Spirit say, go engage that guy. So I'm like, all right, well, hey, I'm preaching on it this morning. I'm going to do it. So I turn around. I said, hey, man, how you doing? And about that loud of voice. And (laughs) this guy walked up, pat me with his head down like this, did not even stop for one millisecond. (laughs) And then I was like, well, Lord, that didn't work the way that I was hoping it would work. And then I looked at him, he had earbuds in, and he was probably playing like really loud music and did not even know I existed, all right? So I'm sharing that because I'm just telling you at the end of the day, I just want to have fun living on the edge, you know what I'm saying? I just want to say hi and see where it goes because I'm a minister of reconciliation and I'm on the job. And you begin, you begin to develop a lifestyle because here's what happened. I have no idea if the kid heard me or not. He might have heard me clearly and was pretending that he had music on. I don't know. But I do know this. Obedience to God brings joy to your heart. And you don't always have the home run, grand slam, last inning home run story. But you know what? If you don't obey God and do something, you won't have any stories. So I encourage you to give some stories. Many times the reason these thoughts are unexpected and out of context is because the Lord is saying, that's my thought, not yours. I'm helping you out. Like how many of you have ever been impressed to go care for somebody or go give somebody some money or go help somebody or go visit somebody? All of those thoughts pop into our mind because we're full of the Holy Spirit and God's trying to lead us. Let me also mention that many times I wish the Lord would tell us, hey, go say hi to that guy and I'm going to lead you down this path and and this guy's going to have a radical encounter with me. In fact, say this, this, and this. As soon as you question that, like call Lynn. I go, okay, well, Lord, why do you want me to call Lynn? Silence. God's never going to give you more information than you give him obedience. 
This is important because some of you are going, man, you know, Christianity is so boring. No, we're boring. God gives you some information. You knew it was the Lord. Now you have to listen. What happens when you listen? More information comes. But you'll never get more information until you move in obedience and you trust the Lord. This isn't, call Lynn. Guys, can I be with you? How, how out there, how threatening is that? It's not that threatening. Try it. Just be open to the Lord. You're in prayer. All of a sudden, somebody pops your mind. Call them up. Just say, man, the Lord brought you to my love on them. See what God does in that situation. I will say this. Some of my greatest regrets in life were when I brushed off the nudges from God only to discover later that he was really wanting to bless this person. And if I would have just been obedient, amazing things would have happened. How many of you know we don't want to live with regrets? Amen. You don't want to stand before the Lord someday. And I don't believe we're going to, there's going to be shame or guilt or any of that in the presence of the Lord. But I believe we're going, to, we're going to have this realization that there could have been so much more that God could have done through us if we would have allowed him to do it. So the first one's a nudge. The second one is what I'm calling a cue. A cue is somebody's facial expression or body posture. Now, let me just tell you, every Sunday morning, you guys are giving me cues. When you worship, I just look out. I can tell who's had a bad week. I can tell who's bored. I can tell who's angry. It's amazing when you preach. Some people look like they're demonized and they want to kill you. Not, not fortunately, I, I didn't see too many of you this morning that were looking that way. But how many of you know this is facial cues? So when you walk up to somebody, you can tell, and I want to encourage you to do this, on Sunday morning, how many of you think in a room this big, somebody's had the worst week of their life? Are we paying attention? How about the people like that sat next to you this morning? Did you just do a quick check, see, see how they're doing? Because some people went through really tough times this week. Some people lost family. Some people coming up on Father's Day. This is the first Father's Day with no dad. Some, some people are hurting badly. And, and all that they're, all we're, our job is to pick up on the cues. Guys, I'm going to help you out. How many of you, you ever talked to your wife? Honey, how you doing? Are you okay? Fine. I mean, you know, you got problems. You okay? I'm fine. Are you good with this decision? Mm. You got problems. And a man that can't pick up a cue will not have a thriving marriage. I mean, we have to listen between the lines. We have to listen to people's tone. That person that's out waiting on your table after church, or if you guys are running out to eat today or something like that, and uh, you're picking up on body language, say, hey, how are you doing? Uh, listen between the lines. When you're out there enjoying fellowship in the, in the lobby, listen between the lines. Pick up on what people are saying. In fact, you know, pastors learn to do this. Counselors learn to do this. You can sit and watch people, right? Uh, salespeople are really great on picking up cues. Um, these are learned behaviors. Some of this isn't all supernatural. It's learned behavior. Learn to pick up on the cues around you. What's going on in people's lives? Pick up on their heart. Pick up on what they're not saying. Let me give you an example in the Bible that's really, really powerful. Uh, in Genesis chapter 40, we read about Joseph and the king's cupbearer and the king's baker. You remember that story? He's in prison at the time. And look at what it says in uh, Genesis 40, verse 6. When Joseph saw them, I circled that in my Bible, he saw them the next morning. He noticed, I circled that in my Bible, he noticed 
that they looked upset. And he asked them this question, why do you look so worried today? How many of you know we have to see and we have to notice and then we have to ask questions? He noticed the countenance of these two prison mates of his. He asked the right question, and what came out was two dreams, and he interprets that dream, uh, and there was a supernatural God encounter there in jail. But I want you to know if Joseph hadn't noticed, then we wouldn't have anything to read about in the Bible. But Joseph picked up on the cues. He saw what was going on, and he followed it. Let me give you the third question. I just mentioned that, or the third point, which is a question. We have prompts. We have cues. We ask questions. How many know... The skill to ask good questions opens up all kinds of information that people begin to share with you. Information that you can use to point them to the Lord. Information that you can use to, to get to the core of what their issue is. You can bring solutions to their lives. Great questions. We need to ask open-ended questions. Let me give you a good example of Elijah and Elisha in the Bible. They, all, they both ask the same question. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, this is the question that Elijah asked Elisha. Tell me what I can do for you. Another way we might say it is simply, how can I help you? You know, if you come up to a person with a smile on your face and you communicate genuine care and you simply say, hey, how are you doing? How can I help you? How can I be a blessing to you? Who's asking those questions out in the marketplace today? You genuinely care for somebody and you simply say, well, what can I do to help? Um, powerful question. And you might, your question might perfectly hit somebody else's need or open the door to all kinds of sharing that comes out of their heart. Uh, and then you can be on your way to, to a, an amazing miracle delivery in their lives. So ask questions. How about this? What, if anything, has discouraged you lately? That's a good question. How about this for those that are, are questioning God Almighty? If you could ask God a question, what would it be? Uh, to get people to talk about the stumbling blocks, the things that are keeping them away from God's incredible embrace and purpose for their lives. What, what's the question you would like to ask God? Learn to ask good questions. Have you ever been with somebody that, that, that while you're with them, all they do is talk about themselves? Those are some boring conversations. Because you kind of end going, oh, okay, and you walk away feeling all that less than satisfied. But how about this? Have you ever been around somebody who asks you a million questions about your life? And they do it with a smile because they care. You feel like you've been in the greatest relationship on planet Earth. Be that person. Be that person that asks and that cares. Let me give you another one. I talked about questions. We talked about cues. We talked about nudges. Let's talk about prompts. Prompt, a prompt, a burst of insight from the Holy Spirit about the person that you're trying to help. Now, many times we, we like to minister in teams, not always, but we like to minister in teams because here's what we encourage you to do. You know, say Marion's with me and we're praying for people like we will after the service today. Um, and hey, how can we pray with you? How can we help you? We hear what's going on. We might ask some questions, but how many you know the whole time we have our radar up because we're, we want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I've learned over the years that I can minister out of my own knowledge and strength and ability, or I can minister out of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll take the latter any day of the week. So I'll start praying for the person and discerning when I'm discerning, but Marion's waiting in the wings. And what is she doing? She's just, she just has her heart open to the Holy Spirit, and she's just listening. Many times the Holy Spirit will give you an image. He'll give you an impression. He'll give you a word. Why does he do that? Listen, because God's crazy about the person that's wanting prayer. 
Listen, nudges are directional. Nudges point you after a person or after a situation. But prompts are informational. They give you intel about the person. Now, let me give you an example in the Bible. Now, before I give you this example, I just got to caution you, all right? Sometimes when we read about how Jesus ministered to people, people will say, well, that was Jesus. He's God. He's perfect. I'm not Jesus. Therefore, do the algebra. God's not going to work that way through my life. Do you remember when Jesus encountered the woman at the well? She was feeding him a bill of goods, and he kind of went through all that. Remember that story? He cut through it all, and he said, you know, yeah, I know, I know you're not married, or you've been married five times. The guy that you're with right now isn't your husband. Where did he get that information? Same way you get your information. The only difference was Jesus was without sin. I leak. So do you. And Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus get that information? The Holy Spirit said, hey, she's been married multiple times here, and the guy she's with now isn't her husband. So Jesus just shared that. Look at what her response was. Come and see the man who told me everything that I ever did. Now, I mean, you know, Jesus didn't tell her everything that she ever did, but he told her enough that <laughs> she was so impressed. She said, I think you're a prophet. <laughs> no kidding. Um, that's an understatement. But it was Jesus's words that revealed her heart. And when he revealed her heart, her whole life opened up. What did she do? She ran back to her neighborhood and said, come and see, come and see, come and see, come and see. Because she had, somebody delivered a package from the heart of God to a woman who was full of guilt and shame and felt like nobody cared about her. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and delivers the mercy and the kindness and the goodness of God. Her heart's open. She goes running home and brings everybody back because this guy's got lots of presents to give up. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. How many of you think God could do that through you? I'm pushing on you now because this church service isn't about all that Jesus is doing in us, it's about what Jesus is trying to get through us. Amen. I'm being serious. How many of you think, who's, who in this room has given your life to Jesus Christ? Wave at me if you're giving your life to Jesus. How many of you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Keep waving at me. How many of you got the deaf and dumb version of the Holy Spirit who never thinks or talks? In? Okay, good, good. Because that version does not exist, all right? You got the Holy Spirit. It's only one. He's real. He's powerful. So how many of you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Some of you aren't so sure now. <laughs> I don't know about that. How many of you, if you're open to the Lord and you're focusing on people, remember the ministry of reconciliation, you're focusing on people who have needs, might just think God might want to nudge you, bump you, prompt you, give you some questions that would help identify who it is that he wants to bless. And there's a divine appointment getting ready to happen in your life. And how many of you think if you had that encounter and exchange, it would be so cool, you would become addicted. I need more of Jesus. I want to be used more by God. I'm hungry for God. How come, Pastor, can we worship more? How come worship is so short at the church? Can we, can we worship longer? Can we have a night of worship where we just sit in the presence of the Lord and where I can love on God, He can love on me, and I can just present myself and make myself a In other words, you become one of those kind of people that your neighbors are concerned about. One of those happy, holy, fired up, 
Jesus-loving people that has stories to tell. Can I just tell you one other thing? We got together with a our, with our, uh, couple of our Roar graduates. We took them out for dinner. We sat down. We talked to them. We honored them. We celebrated them. And then we asked them this question. What was it about your experience in Aurora that you remember the most, changed your life the most? Let me tell you something amazing. It was not any of the teachers or any of the content of any of the courses or any sermon Pastor Ron will ever preach, let me tell you what they talked about that stuck out the, the light, light, loudest, brightest, all right, in their hearts. It was when they went out and did what we read about. It was the missions experience. It was when they were sharing Jesus. It was when they were praying for the sick person. It was, it was when they did the stuff. At, at the same time, they were the most afraid and most alive. Most afraid, most alive. Can I encourage you that it will not be, you'll never sit back and say, you know, that message back in 08, the pastor, no, you don't even remember anything about 08, but you will remember when you were sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you obeyed God and you were able to make a profound difference to somebody's heart that rocked their life forever. You will remember that. You will remember that. And that will be what, you, what causes a yearning in your heart to have the Lord work in you in that way even more. I got to keep going on here. Last thing I want to mention, and then I want to apply this, all right? In alert, can I, and we kind of touched on this, in alert. I'm not a mechanical person, so when I'm driving down the road and lights start coming on, I just get entertained by that. I'm like, cool, a yellow light, a, a red light, a blinking green light. That is awesome. There, but how many of you know those are supposed to alert you that there's something going on under the hood that's not healthy? Now, check this out. When you're moving with the Holy Spirit and you're getting closer to the delivery, the alert goes off because your flesh starts screaming. Does your flesh ever scream at you? Let me help you diagnose the problem. Does your flesh ever say to the Holy Spirit, do what? You want me to do what? How about this one? What are they going to think? How about this one? What if I'm wrong? And for you super spiritual people, with a religious spirit on, on top of fear, Lord, what if I am missing you? What will happen to your glorious reputation? Do you notice how I shifted that away from my fear of my reputation onto God's reputation that makes me look like a saint? How many of you know God's never been concerned with defending his reputation, so you don't have to either. You just need to be obedient and go love people and not make up all the excuses. But here's what's going to happen. When you start getting close to deliver, you ever play that game with your kids? Cold, cold, warmer, warmer, hot, right? When they get close, when you start getting to the hot zone in the delivery of something God's wanting to bless somebody with, that's when the alert starts going, woo, woo, woo. Now, let me just tell you, that alert says two things. And hear me on this. It's a confirmation that you're moving in the right direction. And it's an invitation to overcome fear with faith. Tell you a practical story. I'm preaching at a big, biggest leadership conference I've ever seen in India. Over 500 pastors in this auditorium. And the Holy Spirit tells me this before I go up to do this session. Leave your notes and follow me. I said, what? <laughs> I'm a teacher type. Your notes are your comfort. You can always run back to them. 
The Lord said, just follow me. In fact, on the way in, he told me, I want you to pick up that, which was a different size containers. He wanted to do an illustration through the different size containers. So literally, I'm walking through. It looked like I'm picking up garbage. Uh, and the last thing I grabbed was a 55-gallon drum. Bottom line is, when I stepped up into that pulpit, I sensed the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and my mouth was full because my heart was already full. And when I saw those precious faces of these Indian leaders looking at me, I felt the compassion of God and you step into a whole nother zone. If you haven't experienced, I'm telling you, you got to. But you talk about scared. When I left that seat and went to that pulpit without my security blankets in hand, I realized that God was messing with me as much as he was messing with them. And can I just tell you this? By the end of our session that night, we had such a visitation from the Holy Spirit. We had pastors dancing down the aisles in worship. And can I just tell you, Indian pastors are not that way by nature. They're very quiet people. There was party going on in the house that night because there was a visitation of the presence of God that brought freedom. Now, I'm just telling you, that's an example of the alert light that was going off in my heart because God was messing with my own comfort zone. He's going to mess with your own comfort zone as well. Some of you say, well, pastor, this is nice, but where's this in the Bible? Ha, ha, ha. I knew you were going to say that. Last five minutes I got. Open up to Acts chapter 8. I want to walk you through an amazing passage of Scripture, and I want you to identify those five cues I just talked about, all right? Five cues. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we're reading about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch here. It says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him. Now, how many of you know that's a massive nudge right there, all right? If you have an angel speaking to you, that's a pretty good-sized nudge. An angel of the Lord spoke to him and listened to the instructions. Go south down the desert road. I mean, you know, that's a pretty general instruction. Go south down the desert road. How many of you know Philip had a choice to make right there? Go south down the desert road. Can you guys think of anybody else in the Bible that got instructions that were, so, that were just basically directional, not detailed? How about Abraham, the father of faith? He was told to go somewhere, and he didn't even know where he was going. But he went. Now, here's the cool thing. He gets a, 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 an Acts chapter 8. It says, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is the greatest GPS on planet Earth? And look at verse 27. So he started out. Now, can I just tell you, many times when God nudges you, you're going to have to start walking. If you don't start walking, you're not going to see what God had in store. Obedience is critical to the Holy Spirit. You have to listen to what he's saying and you have to obey. Look at what happens next. He starts out, and he meets the treasurer of Ethiopia. <laughs> How many of you know when he got up that morning, he had no knowledge he would meet a dignitary from Ethiopia who happened to be the treasurer? Now, how many of you know when you run into the treasurer of Ethiopia on a desert road heading south, you know you're experiencing a divine encounter at that point? Because this is no, no normal person on the street. I imagine this. He's walking. He's obeying the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, he sees this massive entourage. And he looks and he goes, wow, that's the, that's the treasure of Ethiopia. Bing, bing, bing. His radar is starting to go off. Hey, maybe God's wanting me to do something with this treasure from Ethiopia. And look what it says next. 
He was returning from worship in Jerusalem. That's interesting. Sounds like a divine setup. He's seated in his carriage, and he's reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. Now we have a dignitary, treasurer, reading from the book of Isaiah out loud, so much so that Philip could hear him reading. How do you know something supernatural is beginning to happen right here, beginning to unfold? Look what happens next. It says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip. Now, can I just ask you this question? Do you guys think Philip's in a category all by himself that we can't relate, that nobody's like Philip? You're quiet on me. I'm just messing with you. How many of you know we have the same Holy Spirit that was speaking to Philip? And Philip's not a superstar. He's just a normal person like you and me who was full of the Holy Spirit and on, on assignment with the Lord. Look at what it says. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Another massive nudge from the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not normal for this total stranger to walk up to this delegation of people, probably with a lot of money and a lot of wealth and a lot of soldiers, and just walk alongside the carriage. But how many know when the Holy Spirit tells you to act like you own the place and walk somewhere, you just got to obey him? And I want you to look at Philip's response. This is crazy. Philip ran over. Now, how many know when you're someone that runs after the voice of God in obedience, you're going you're to experience some cool stuff. He runs over and he hears the man reading. Here's another cue. And he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And notice the question that Philip asked. Do you understand what you're reading? A clarifying question. Do you understand what you're reading? The man says, how can I? Another cue from the Lord. How can I unless somebody instructs me? Now, if you're Philip at this point, how many of you realize God has just sent you on assignment and the end result's going to be pretty stunning? This guy doesn't, he doesn't know what he's reading. He's reading from Isaiah. I ask him what, if he's all right. How can I help you? Uh, I don't understand this. All of a sudden he realized, ah, God's sent me here to teach this man about Jesus and about the way of salvation. Look what happens next. How can I unless someone instructs me? He urges Philip, come on up into the carriage and sit with him. This all started with Philip beginning his day as a servant of the Lord, open to God's assignment, and now he's sitting in a carriage next to the treasure of Ethiopia. How many of you think the Christian life is boring? No, it's not. We're boring. How would you like to wake up one day going about your normal business and you're sitting in a carriage next to the treasure of Ethiopia sharing the gospel? I'm telling you, this isn't so strange. It's in the Bible. God wants to do crazy things like this through us if we'll let him. Let me wrap this up. He starts reading from Isaiah. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, what was the prophet talking about? Was he talking about himself or someone else? That's another cue that he's picking up on. And so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And you know the story. The man said, what must I do to be baptized? And he takes him out. He's right now we can be baptized. Boom. What was the special delivery package? It was the good news of the gospel. He shares Jesus. But can you see, this guy was completely set up by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people say, Pastor, can you call this person or that person? And I say, I would love to. But whenever I get the number, I don't automatically pick up the phone and call. Because here's the deal. I want the Lord to drop your name in my spirit when I'm out working in 
pulling weeds in my garden or something like that. Because listen, when your name or that phone call pops into my mind at that time, invariably this is what I find. The person says, I can't believe you're calling me. Now listen, when there's a divine appointment, when heaven and earth are colliding in a person's life through circumstances, there's an incredible receptivity to what God's doing. Because people go, wow, wow. How many of you know if there's one word that should sum up Christianity, it should be wow. Let me give you another example. How about a man named Ananias? I want you to go down, and how many know the Holy Spirit gave him the street name again? I want you to go down such and such street, and I want you to go pray for Saul, who, by the way, has been radically encountered by me, and, you know, he's had this identity change and all that. Of course, as the Apostle Paul gives us two-thirds of the New Testament, at this moment, he's completely blinded. Three days. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go minister to that guy. And here's, here's what Ananias says. What? Do you know that guy's rap sheet? In fact, there may have been his personal family members that had been murdered by the Apostle Paul, by Saul, and his zeal, his zeal for, uh, for, for religion. All right? And yet Ananias had a decision to make. And you know what he did? I mean, aren't you grateful Ananias obeyed the Lord? Amen. I'm just bringing it down to real. A real person that loved Jesus had to listen to the Holy Spirit, had to obey the Holy Spirit, had to move out in faith with limited knowledge. In fact, in this situation, bad knowledge, horrific knowledge, had to obey God. In this situation, he laid hands. I'm going to use you for the Apostle Paul. He laid hands on Saul. And the scales fell off of his eyes, and he was baptized. Now, I don't know about you. I'm going to be excited about chatting with Paul in heaven, but I'm going to find Ananias and go, dude, give me a high five. Because if, if you wouldn't have been obedient to the Holy Spirit and been willing to get out of your comfort zone and let God use you, we wouldn't have two-thirds of the New Testament that we have because of the Apostle Paul. Here's my question to you. Who's waiting to have a radical encounter with Jesus and waiting for you or me to simply be more open and be more sensitive and be more willing to step out? How about this? Being willing to get the Holy Spirit nudge us. I got you. I hear you. I'm moving. Uh, Because their destiny is hanging in the balance and the Lord's waiting for somebody that will simply say, use me. Here I am. Use me. Who thinks this, is, you don't have to raise your hand, but who thinks this is like beyond you? Like, well, that's not for us today. That's why I love these examples, because it's like, we can't say that. That's not true. It's not beyond us. It's exactly what God wants to do. And can I just tell you this? When a church starts moving together and releasing the goodness and kindness of God, I'm telling you, that's when you move into revival mode. That's when you move into like, God is blowing our minds mode. When people start being sensitive with their resources, time, their treasure, their talent, and they start reaching out to other people and loving other people in tangible ways, it creates an atmosphere that's pregnant with God and pregnant with heaven and stuff starts happening. I mean, God's stuff starts happening. How many of you think if you prayed for somebody that's literally scales over their eyes and you watch the scales fall to the ground in front of you, it might build your faith a little bit. I think the Lord wants to build our faith a little bit.
And I think, I just want to say this publicly, declare this, the same God who's causing scales to fall off Paul's eyes is the same God who's wanting so powerfully to demonstrate his kindness today to people who will reach out to him and call on him and trust him and to people who will say, Lord, let me deliver some of your goods today. In fact, we should go to bed at night really saying, "If Lord, did I miss you today? Because I know how crazy your heart is. And I know how much you love people. God, I hope I didn't miss you today because I just don't ever want to let an opportunity pass where we can release the kindness of your heart to somebody and that we can make an eternal difference to somebody. I close with this. Luke Abbott, are you in here? I see Luke earlier. Did he take off? I never will forget at my father's funeral when Luke and Marissa were standing right here and their, their children in tow. And they said, as they came through, they said, none of these kids would be here if it were not for the marriage ministry and for your mom and dad encouraging us. He said, these kids would not be here. And I'm telling you how it hit me because I literally looked at three lives who probably wouldn't have even been on planet Earth because the parents wouldn't have been together and they wouldn't even exist. It hit me at that moment the eternal consequences of our daily decisions and the humongous size of God's heart for people and sometimes a tiny little tiny little conduit that he has to work with with me so the problem is not God the problem is this tiny little capacity that I have to be available to him and to trust him and to listen to him because I'm too focused on me. So Lord, forgive us. Stand to your feet, will you, please? Oh, Lord. Thank you, God, for your kindness. Lord, even today, I just want to prophesy this. There are people here today. The heart of God for you is so massive. His love for you is so great. The breakthroughs that he's trying to bring in your life are so life-changing that your life will never be the same. That's the good news of the gospel. The other good news is this building is full of a bunch of people who really do want to partner with the Lord. And so, Father, I ask you today, let heaven and earth collide and let, let people receive exactly what it is that you're trying to release into their lives. Father, we're asking you to increase our fruitfulness, increase our availability. God, increase our capacity to release what's in your heart and on your mind. I just want to say this. When I say amen and we wrap up this service There'll be people in the overflow room that will pray with you. There'll be people up front here. I want our ministry team to join me up front to pray with you. Don't be in a hurry to leave. But how many of you believe that even today, even today, there's something amazing God wants to do in each one of us if we'll just be open to it? I believe that with all my heart. So, Lord, here we are. Send us. Use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, have an incredible day, and I want to hear the stories, so tell them, all right, share them with us. If you need prayer, come on down.